five, four, three, two, one. This is a Top 5 Geek Confidential Podcast. Joining me today, Dan, you're back. Hey, Luke, how's it going? Good. We missed you last week when we were discussing television shows because we were discussing the Berlantiverse and the return of those shows. Just oh, like, I have so many thoughts. It just was not the same without you. I'm so sorry. I I had to watch some football. I thought uh, so. Yes. That's the only reason why you were excused, because if it was Huskers for me or Texas for Mel, we might do the same. Mo, are you a football fan? Not that this is a football podcast, but I don't know your football habits. Well, nah, I, I'm, I'm a little lukewarm. I My team, well, my college team, because I went to uh, the University of Virginia, we have an up and we when it comes to football, it's very up and down for us. And right now we're knocking on the door of going to a bowl, which we haven't done in many years. And we need that sixth win and it keeps eluding us. Let's just say I, I'm I, it's it's I'm not obsessed. I'm probably not as obsessed with football as like my other co-hosts are. Well, I don't know that I would call myself obsessed, but I do enjoy it. Uh, watching college football more than NFL. But we're not here to talk about football. We're t- here to talk about the top five new shows of the 2017 season. Dan? Yes? Who do you have at number five? So I'm going to preface this by saying that because the CW and certain aspects of Netflix have taken over my life, I don't necessarily watch a ton of new television series. Um, So it's going to be fudged a little bit to a couple of series that I am also looking forward to that I'm going to be checking out. So for my number five, I have the upcoming Netflix limited series called Godless, which is starring uh, Jeff Daniels and a variety of female co-stars. I need to look up their names, um, but I am extremely looking forward to this. It's a Western. um, So for all of you Westworld fans out there and folks of fans of uh western cinema and stuff like that uh definitely go check this out basically what happens is in this western town most of the men were in a mine when the mine kind of collapsed and the the men all died so now the town is mostly women and a couple men and like people come to town and they're trying to figure out you know what's the deal here why is it only women um and they're, they feel threatened by it, so they, when they start acting aggressively toward them, well, the women have to step in and be badasses. And it looks fantastic. I am so excited for it, and I highly encourage everyone to check it out. 
I think fudging is an understatement, especially when the show has not aired. Like, if you were to have told me you were going to pick something in June or July or August because it was summer and not part of the regular TV season... That it is, comes out in like two weeks. That is fudging. But to add a show to your list before it is even aired without having watched a screener, that is more than fudging, my friend. Ah, uh, Mo, who do you have or what show do you have at number five? Well, like Dan, I struggled with my number five. And my my number five, it, it can be somewhat of a controversial pick. I'm going to go with Fox's The Orville. The reason why I'm, I'm, I picked The Orville is because in terms of pure mindless entertainment, it has provided that, I would say, out of five or six of the seven episodes that have currently aired. The Orville, more or less, if you're not familiar with the show, it is essentially a warped kind of version of Star Trek The Next Generation or a 90s Star Trek show. It very much... It's Family Guy meets Star Trek. Yeah, that's probably the... Yeah, yeah. It's Family Guy meets Star Star Trek, uh, particularly Star Trek Next Generation or Star Trek DS9 in that in that sort of vein. Seth MacFarlane is the lead of this show. He His name is um, Captain Ed Mercer. He's the captain of the Orville. He has a very weird cast of oddballs, such as Bordas, who is their Worf-type character. He has two very, very Family Guy-esque characters who are the helmsmen of the show, who more or less are the ones who provide the who insert the Family Guy-type jokes and pop a lot of the pop culture references into the episodes. The straight person on the show is is uh, Commander Ke- uh, Kelly Grayson. She's played by Adrian Padalecki. Pet- For those of you who remember, she was uh, recently in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She also um, played Wonder Woman in that Wonder Woman pilot from a number of years ago. Friday Night I personally, Lights. Friday Night Lights. For me, the highlight of the show has been the last two or three episodes, in particular the la- the episode episode seven of the, of the series in which they dealt with a planet that more or less resembled 21st century Earth in which you could uh, like or dislike someone based on their actions. And if they got too many dislikes, they got a lobotomy. Very so interesting. Not exactly episode. like our Earth at this moment because they didn't have, they don't have a justice legal system. They only have a like or dislike system for meeting out Correct. punishment and. Um, shall we say, setting the standard for what is acceptable and unacceptable in society. Yes, correct. So, right. so I think if you, I know a lot of people had issues with, and I in particular had some issues with the third episode of the Orville, but if you're willing to either ju- uh, skip that third episode and come back to like the fourth or the fifth episode, I think it is it is worth your time to dig in, but it's certainly not something that, oh, I've got to see it when it airs on Thursdays at 9 o'clock. I also have the Orville at number five, and it would be higher if it wasn't for the fact that Seth MacFarlane is not good at making social commentary in live action. It might be able to pull it off in cartoons, but the third episode, which you mentioned, even even the most recent one, which you liked, I liked the concept of it, but what I find 
frustrating with this show is the way each episode, every time he tries to land a point, it's like watching Olympic gymnastics and you see the person who doesn't have a firm landing. He is always doing the, the hop after the landing. It never works right. The episode about the baby who was going to have gender reassignment surgery did not land right at all for me. The um, episode where we have, like you said, the voting up and down, we got to the end of that episode and granted, you do not expect societal change to happen with one individual, but the way it ended just fell off. It all it always seems to me like this show has a slightly off-kilter parallel universe in which nothing is ever... I don't need things to always end up good. I don't need things to always end up bad. But what's frustrating for me is they all they seem to always end up gray. And this is not Black Mirror. Seth MacFarlane does not... How do I put this? He's like Ryan Murphy, who's, who's never good at more than the first two seasons of a TV show. Seth MacFarlane is not good at social, landing socially relevant concepts in that same way. And but I like the cast, and that's the reason why I keep watching it. I love Penny uh, Gerald um, as the Doctor. I love Scott McFarlane as the Captain. Adrian Pilecki, she's fantastic. The 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 various characters, wonderful. I could do without the slime blob, but other than that, I enjoy the setting. I enjoy the cast, and. The storylines are okay, but it's just like it never can nail a landing for me. So that's why it's that number five for me. With regard to the the, the seventh episode, see, I thought that the I, – I didn't mind the grayness of that ending because it, it holds to an, an old, like, Star Trek credence of – of when the star the the various starships would enter well the enterprise or whatever starship would uh, come into contact with a new race and they try not to have make a huge change on that society but they plant a they may plant a seed that may later grow and that's what i think that was the point of this episode of the orville and why i think that in my opinion it does work because it made that person it made that character think should i vote Yes or no. At first, she was going to vote that person down who was on television, and then she decided just to leave it alone and walk away. And I, I think that felt like a very classic Star Trek um, stance, or, or yeah, a, a very star, classic Star Trek take on that particular situation. I can totally understand why you have that point. My thought watching it is, and maybe it's just because politics influences everything. Today, in our society today, with which we live in it, I'm not expecting her to become an activist or whatever, but for me, her just turning off the TV was more like the people who are like, well, I don't follow Twitter. I don't really care what happens. Um, it's just politics. And so for me, it translated that way. It didn't translate for me the way it did for you. Okay. Um, the other part of that is that I feel like the way the episodes end they're sort of giving us a Twilight Zone Outer Limits vibe because everything is always supposed to be sort of unsettled at the end. And I don't like that continuing to happen consistently. So for me, that's why it's at number five. Dan, who do you have at number four? So for number four, I fudged it again, but this is the last time I'm fudging it. I have the Punisher. Uh, 
at, at number four, I feel like I'm going to be called for shenanigans, but I'm so freaking excited for John Berthal and his performance as Frank Castle again. I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it. And I know that there's a tidal wave coming and I need a boat. And oh, Rava! Do you have a Hershey's factory in your back door or backyard? I do not. Because that's a lot of fudge. Oh! Or he could have a wave rider. He's going to the future and then watching these shows and then coming back and pretending that he has not seen these shows. He has not claimed that, though, so I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt. Oh. Mo, who do you have at number four? I got to go with Amazon's The Tick. Okay. okay. I haven't watched it. Well, why do you have it at number four? Well, I... For those of you who are not familiar with the concept of the Tick, the Tick is a was this comic book character who was created back in the late '90s. He had the Tick is this big, super strong, semi invulnerable individual who is pro- he. You don't know if the character is crazy or not. He the the uh, the Tick has a friend slash partner called Arthur who looks like some sort of moth character with wings and can fly in the ticks universe is, is um, has all these different characters that may be like a play on Batman or Captain America or Thor or whatever mainstream Marvel or DC universe character. It's, it's very much a spoof. There was a cartoon that ran on Fox for, uh, I think, I believe it was like three seasons in the nineties. There was a, t- a live action television show in the early 2000s. Now, Amazon has brought back the the tick with 12 episodes. They've released six episodes so far. The additional six will come at the beginning of 2018, I believe. The, the, the great thing about this show is, is that it very much feels like how more of a real-world-esque type of tick show you, for the first few episodes, you're not sure if Arthur, Arthur the um, and who who very much is the um, the focal point, the lead character, if he's crazy, is he imagining that the tick? But by the time you get to episode three, it's obvious that he's not crazy. He's uh, Arthur. Arthur <laughs> is he's interested in in trying to track down the supervillain named the terror who was played by Jackie Earl Haley. He believes that he, he feels like the terror was indirect, was responsible for indirectly killing his father many years ago during a superhero battle. And so the author gets mixed up in the shenanigans involving supervillains and acquires his moth suit. And then sort of craziness ensues. Um, the actor who plays the tick, Peter Serfanowitz, uh, Surfa- uh, um, probably he very much feels like an Adam West type Batman, even down to his voice and the way he talks to Arthur, in which he's the chum. It's The show is very easy to get into. The episodes are maybe 23, 24 minutes for the most part. 
it's there's a lot of humor. There's a character called Miss Lint who's this quasi supervillain whose powers are that uh, she has she shoots electricity, but she's the stuff's always getting stuck to her, like pieces of lint and other things. And and she lives with her ex husband who used to work for supervillains, and they have a very complicated relationship. They're not together, but they're still cohabitating. It's very funny. Um, if you are interested in like a a lighthearted oh and and and, and there's some parts of the tick that can get dark as well but it it's very low key in terms of investment my number 4 is the defenders on netflix this is maybe a fudge i don't consider it a fudge but um it sort of ended the the tv the summer season moved a little bit into at least for me as i had a chance to watch it i guess that's one of my um escape clauses on this is with netflix shows you watch them when you get a chance to get to them so for me it's it's a new show of the season I loved having Charlie Cox, Kristen Ritter, Mike Coulter back, Finn Jones, uh, not so much. But I love the Electra, um, the return of Electra, Madame Gao. A lot went right with the Defenders, even if Iron Fist still brought it down and was still the weakest link. I mean, if he was on the TV show from the early 2000s, late 90s, whatever that was, he would be the weakest link. But for me... It's still a really good, enjoyable show. Um, and it actually has aired. Dan. I would call you out on that, but I have no room to do so. So instead, I'm going... Mo, we, Mo you have listened to many day- Daytime Confidential podcasts. Um, I'm sure we have now found someone who is coming up with more loopholes than I'm known for. You are known. For, you are the king of loopholes, Luke. Well, um, I think you may be trying to rival me for that throne. And this is not Game of Thrones. So until you watch Game of Thrones, I'm still king. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. You can you can be the I, the the Lannister guy that 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 one king. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> OK, so my number three is on Netflix and it has aired and it's fairly new. It's called American Vandals. Um, it is a mockumentary about a guy in high school who was accused of something that he didn't do, mainly uh, spray painting dicks on cars. And this whole mockumentary is about proving his innocence in how he is not the one who did this uh, act of vandalism. And it's like a really funny, but it it bases all of its stuff on um, on real crime uh, documentaries, like, you know, Making a Murderer and stuff like that. It hits on all of those beats and also hits on a lot of the beats from, like, Catfish, where you're, you're inter- they're interviewing people and they're breaking down, like, the, the clues that are around and stuff like that for something this silly. Uh, it's really entertaining and it's been picked up for a season two as well. So I'm looking forward to that and I highly encourage you guys to check it out. Okay. Mo, who do you have at number three? I'm going to go with the defenders. And by the time I got to watch the defenders, it was early September. So technically fall had already started. So thank you. <laughs> I'm out of luck. <laughs> but like Luke said, 
the biggest joy enjoyment from and for me when it comes to the defenders is those four characters coming together daredevil jessica jones luke cage and even even iron fist and and i think to be fair iron fist quasi worked in the defenders and and that's because he was the butt of a lot of jokes because they were calling out his privilege and I think by addressing, turning those weaknesses, those things that we didn't like in the Iron Fist and the Iron Fist series into a strength really worked. And, and hopefully they'll take this going forward when Iron Fist appears in the Luke Cage television series. Because based on the Defender show, it looks like they are trying to uh, maneuver those two characters into the Luke, the classic Marvel, uh, Luke Cage, Iron Fist uh, uh, partnership slash team up. I did, one of my biggest issues though was that I felt like it took too long for all the characters to get together. I think they should have gotten the character, all of them should have been together. I would have said about a second episode um, or at least two of them had had interacted with two of them by that point. It just felt like we were getting two hours of what had happened in the lives of these characters after their series. I enjoyed the fact that, that Elektra turned out to be the main villain. I would have enjoyed, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of a follow-up with because they invested so much time into the supporting characters from each of the shows and so forth, especially like Trish and Malcolm, that by the time these later episodes came along, they kind of were like kind of moved to the back to to the back to the back of the classroom. And we really more or less didn't feel like in, in terms of the supporting characters because who they spent so much time with in those first couple of episodes that we kind of didn't get like a good conclusion for them. But again, it's the defenders. They are not the defenders, but when you spend time building up characters, you know, even supporting cast characters, we like for some sort of closure or feel like there's, there's some sort of growth or evolution for those characters. Okay. Um, but I do think that overall, it's uh, the Defenders is a very enjoyable show. I think the number of episodes worked, because um, but any more, I think that they would have overplayed their hand. However, again, I, I do strongly feel that the show could have gotten the four main characters together a little bit quicker. Okay, coming in at number three for me is a show that maybe isn't geeky, probably isn't geeky, but it is one of my top five new shows of the season which is SEAL Team on uh, CBS. I Every once in a while, I'll tune in to a military-based drama and enjoy it. I watched The Unit on CBS for many years, no puns intended. And this one starring David Boreanaz, SEAL Team, is another show sort of in that same vein. I enjoy the team element. I like the rescue and the various other aspects of it. It's not like a crime of the week type, which I'm not as usually a big fan of, but I'm enjoying it. The cast has good chemistry. The stories are something that I can watch and enjoy, but I don't necessarily have to concentrate too much on. 
And then there's the fact that I have a lot of goodwill built in for David Boreanaz from the Buffy, Angel, and Bones. So that doesn't hurt as well, or hurt either. Dan, who do you have at number two? Uh, my number two is um, on Netflix. It just debuted a few weeks back and has already been picked up for a season two. It is called Big Mouth. It is an animated series uh, made by uh, Nick Kroll, uh, starring Nick Kroll, uh, John Mulaney, uh, Jason Manzukis, Jenny Slate, uh, Kristen Wiig. It's, it's a real comedy. Um, it's about puberty essentially it's uh, it surrounds a bunch of like preteen teenagers and the changes they have to go through with their bodies and stuff like that as they get older and try and navigating all of those types of issues and it's it's really funny it's smart um it deals a lot with like the the differences in the like how men and women grow and develop and stuff like that but in new and interesting ways that i wouldn't have necessarily thought of um i highly encourage you to check it out especially if you love all of those comedians that are so hot right now highly encourage you to check them out uh it's it's fantastic mo who do you have at number two i'm going with star trek discovery on cbs all access um, as i've mentioned in i've in pre- some previous podcasts, Star Trek Discovery is a highly enjoyable, highly addictive Star Trek show. Very much, it kind of breaks the mold in terms of the old Star Trek shows in which Discovery is much more serialized. The star of this show is Michael Burnham, who at the beginning of the series is the second-in-command of, of the, uh, the, the USS Shinzu. And after the two-hour pilot and, some, and a bit of mutiny on her part, Michael ends up working on a top-secret um, Federation ship called the Discovery. And on the Discovery, she is more or less... At first, she's just more, this, more or less like an indentured servant. And... Subsequent in subsequent episodes, she eventually becomes more or less like a, a another science officer on board this ship. What I like about Star Trek Discovery is is one that we're looking at this show through the lens of of a, a, a non captain. One of the interesting things about Michael Burnham is that she's a human, but she's been raised by a Vulcan. She's a, she's been raised by the Vulcans, and particularly Spock's father and mother and there are a lot of mentions of spock in the show when it comes to uh, discussing um her relationship in regard to uh, to spock's family the other aspect of the show that they've t- kind of touched upon in the first few episodes is the role of the klingons we're getting a look at how the klingon society works and in terms of like multiple cast houses and so forth um there's a bit of jockeying for power on the side of the klingons if you're looking for a Star Trek series that is episodic, this is is not. It is more or less a show that keeps uh, building upon itself. Um, it's a very. It's not. There are some episodic things, but it is serial. It's a serialized drama. I get the sense that it's basically Star Trek meets Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, it is in a way. It, it very much in that. Yeah, that's very much. Uh, 
Yeah, that's basically what it is. It is Battlestar Galactica, the Battlestar Galactica from the twenty, the two thousands, not the one from the nineteen seventies. Yes, yeah, the critically acclaimed one. <laughs> yeah. So, and there's there are questions. Obviously, like any good Star Trek show, there are these questions of morality and so forth. The captain of of the Discovery. You're you're kind of, he's he's very much an anti-hero in in some ways. The he's played his name is Gabriel Lorca. He's played by Jason Isaacs. If you're familiar with Jason Isaacs, he was in the Harry Potter franchises. He was Draco Malfoy's father. He's known for playing great characters. Um, so there's this very interesting dynamic in which he kind of looks at the various crew members and the on on the discovery as chess pieces, and he kind of manipulates and moves them in, in the situations in which he needs them. I think if you're if you're on the fence about uh, CBS All Access, I think this is a show that's worth your time. And if you if you want to watch it, probably figure out the best strategy for you. If it's to wait till a bunch of episodes are made available and then get CBS All Access, fine. But it is something that is worth. Wow. I'm actually really looking forward to Star Trek Discovery, but I am one of those people who is, and the reason why it's not on my list, because I'm sure it would be, because I do love the Star Trek universe, um, is because I am waiting. I have so much television that I'm already watching. I do not have the time or energy to try and wait to, for a Star Trek to show up on a Sunday when I don't, when my TVs don't have a CBS All Access app. So I would have to get on my phone and figure out all that stuff. So my thought for Star Trek Discovery is I'm going to BlizzCon next week. That's the reason why we're not going to have a a regular episode next week. Um, And that's why we're doing the top five today because it will last two weeks. Come November, Thanksgiving, Christmas, I'm going to get CBS All Access and then just use that as like my holiday relaxation, watching Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, and I was going to say, Luke, the... the so they're they've kind of they've broken up the first season. The way I have this figured out is I'm going to do the trial run and watch the first six episodes. And then if I like it, I'll stay subscribed through the last six episodes. That's my personal strategy. We'll see how that goes. Coming in at number two for me is The Good Doctor on ABC. Freddie Highmore is amazing. This is basically Grey's Anatomy meets Monk and with a with a lot of MacGyver thrown in and it really works. I love every single episode. The drama is always fascinating because you have Freddie Highmore, who's an, who plays an autistic character or a doctor and who's in his residency and how he is having to relate to patients and delivering them news and whether or not he should be sugarcoating it. And then you have the other um, residents who are also trying to get a leg up. And then you have the interpersonal boardroom conflicts, which is something we didn't see as much of in um, Grey's Anatomy in the early seasons, but it's something that plays an important part of this show from the standpoint of just getting him as an autistic doctor into the hospital in the first place involves boardroom politics. And so I'm loving it because the cast is strong, the storylines are strong, the the twists. It's a medical drama. If you've watched Grey's Anatomy, if you've watched ER, if you've watched any of those, you know that you can sort of sometimes predict things. But I think that the way that The Good Doctor ha- is doing it this season is very 
2017 and I'm really enjoying it. I would highly encourage you to watch it. If you like medical dramas even a little, but you are like, well, I don't know if I have time for it. You need to make time for The Good Doctor. Oh, Luke, I had a question. So how familiar are you with Bates um, Motel? Because from what I've been reading about this show. I, Bates Motel did not interest me in the least. I'm aware of the premise, but I did not watch it at all. Okay. Because one of the things I've been reading about The Good Doctor is, is that Freddie High, people feel that there's some overlap between Freddie Highmore's character in The Good Doctor and in, from Bates Motel. And I was just curious about your take it, on that. It, it's entirely possible that it may be, but I'm not really... I'm not a big horror fan other than like genre horror, like werewolves, vampires, and zombies. So outside of that, I'm not really a horror fan. So it really held no interest for me. Dan, this brings us to the number one pick. There better be no fudging involved. I mean, I, I literally was almost going to write down Stranger Things 2 since Stranger Things in Stranger Things 2 isn't the same thing. But I didn't because I didn't uh, want to have... They show, do they show up as under one se- uh, two seasons on IMDb under Stranger Things or two separate series on, on IMDb? I was going off of Netflix, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to talk about a show. I love having you on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I I I make it so that like the loopholes and fudging that we me me and Mo have listened to on DC for years, it, it, it looks less in comparison. You know, it just makes me look normal, is what it does. <laughs> oh, Luke. So, so Luke can so basically Luke next time they do a DC top five what Luke will do is when people start like talking about how Luke's shenanigans he can just insert a clip from this listen, episode. Listen, I have zero ties. I have zero ties, so I feel like I'm still doing okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. You don't have zero ties, but go ahead. I have family ties. Start. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways. <laughs> I am dumb. No, I have um I have a show that I've talked about many a time on this podcast. I have Comrade Detective on Amazon. Uh highly encouraged you check Oh, not what I was expecting. I thought that this might be unanimous. We uh, I did not expect that. Okay, go what, ahead. What, what what were you expecting? No, I'm going to wait until after I see Bo's pick because I think he and I may have the same one. I if Mel was here, I knew what hers was going to be, so yeah. I thought it was going to be a four-way agreement, but it is not. So, Go I've, ahead, Dan. Th- that makes me feel like I've missed something. Oh, no. Well, okay. considering you haven't watched Game of Thrones, this is not surprising. That's, Go ahead, Dan. That's completely fair. So, um, Comrade Detective, like I've talked about, uh, 1980s crime drama from Romania that um, quote-unquote that quote unquote was dubbed over. Um, so, as it turns out, the, the crime drama is, shot, is a shot-for-shot shot remake um, and it's there's writing involved as well. Um, but Channing Tatum, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Nick Offerman, Jenny Slate, uh, Jason Manzukis, all fantastic, all great. I really lean into comedies with this list. I feel like I went very comedy heavy and like I didn't read the room correctly. But I I enjoy a good comedy, and I'm 
I highly encourage you to check it out because it's super fun. It's super quick. It's only about six episodes. Uh, and the mystery elements are there. The, you know, crime drama, crime procedural. And it's really cool to see, like, different cultural things and how cultures perceive other cultures. And it kind of makes you think about, like, it, it just it makes you think uh, about different parts of the world and how we as Americans can write other people, how other people see us as villains. Like it, it, it's, it really goes there with that kind of stuff and it's really interesting. And yeah, Channing Tatum's awesome. Okay. Mo, please tell Dan why the gifted is this season's timeless and he is missing out on it because unless I am wrong, I suspect that is your number one pick. Yeah, I have to. This one's for Mel. It is The Gifted. And first and foremost, it goes back to my love of the X-Men. I have been reading X-Men comics for many decades. Well, uh, at least, at 20, least, two, de- at at least two, two decades. At least two decades. I'm not going to give up at that least age two. anymore. Than that. At least don't, two decades. Don't, don't say three, but at least two. <laughs> at least two decades, yeah. At least two decades of X-Men comics. So for me, as... This is a dream come true to have a, a quasi-X-Men type show that's live action. Because we got the X-Men anime series in the 90s and we've gotten various other X-Men cartoons. What I like about The Gifted is that it very much takes you know a lot of mutants who, who have been either on an X-Team or related to like a, a, another – who have been part of another X-Team, kind of scramble them up. You've brought in, or rather, you're using the name. If you know the name, Stri- the Striker, the name Striker from X-Men lore, you know what that comes with. Okay, there, there are some stri- Striker characters in the X-Men universe. If you, you can do your own research, and that, and the reason why I'm not gonna say any more is because it may go into spoiler territory about where the show is going. Now, the Gifted is about a. a Middle, I would say upper middle class family. Who? Yeah, he's uh, an attorney. Yeah, she's a stay at home mom. I'd say that's fair. Well, I think she's a nurse. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. okay. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I wasn't uh, see in the in this show. I wasn't sure if it was something where she went to school for nursing and then didn't because she became a mom. I sort of missed that nuance. So I, if she's a nurse, so be it. Yeah, so it's about two parents uh, played by uh, Stephen Moyer, Amy Acker, um, who have a lot of genre credits between the two of them. Yep. They are parenting two teenagers who went, who suddenly manifest mutant powers. Now, the daughter, <laughs> Lauren, she's been on the DL with her mutant powers for a while. It's really the hot, and I wouldn't even say he's hot-headed, the son, Andy. He more or less is the classic child who gets bullied at school. He gets tired of being bullied and then lashes out. But instead of just, you know, punching the, the bully in the face, what he does is he lashes out with his mutant powers. And then subse- subsequently, he comes the villain. So now, the Strucker family, okay, in which Stephen Moyers, Reed Strucker, who is a district attorney who prosecutes mutants, is suddenly on the hunt by mutant authorities because he, he has two mutant children. Now, yep. enter in a 
And I wouldn't even, they're not even freedom fighters. It's more or less, they are a mutant underground network comprised of John Proudstar. If you know anything about the X-Men, he was, thun- he, was the, he was the first Thunderbird. He was part of the all new, all different era of the X-Men that started in the 1970s. Unfortunately, if you know X, you know your X-Men little Proudstar got killed real quick. Okay. I like the fact that they're using this character who who hasn't been utilized. The name Thunderbird has been used a number of times in, uh, by other uh, characters in X-Men lore. But I'm glad that this show is just taking this character and just running with it and just seeing what they're doing. One of my favorite X-Men characters, because of her long, screwed-up backstory, is Lorna Dane, a.k.a. Polaris. She was a member of the X-Men for a while, in the comics, she has been a part of other X-Men teams, such as X-Factor. Okay, If you know your X-Men lore, you know about her, who her, well, at least who her father is. And if you uh, know what her powers are, you obviously, that's a big clue on who her, what her, um, what her, um, who her fa- father is. Now, um, heading up this, this team of freedom, well, this mutant, this mutant underground network is a character named Eclipse. He's kind of this mix mash of, I believe, a couple different X-Men characters, um, namely Sunspot. And I personally believe another character who was called Thunderbird, who had uh, Thunderbird 3, who had some heat powers. So they have this kind of underground railroad type network in which they're helping mutants um, get from point A to point B. I think this show really delves into a lot of the domestic issues. It's like, well, what if you are a mutant and suddenly you've got to go to the doctor or go to the ER? Well, you kind of go get screwed. I mean, um, because there may be people who may not want to take your insurance. They're 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 constantly being um, pursued by by uh, uh, Kobe Bell and his mutant. Strike Force, uh, because and he has this interesting backstory about his family, which they've only hinted upon. I think if you are a fan of the X Men lore, it's there's a very good entry point into the show because of the family aspect. There's not a lot of uh, I, the special effects are pretty good for television, but they figured out a, they figured out a way to give X Men powers without spending a lot on CGI. Correct. Yes, the gifted. If you are a fan of the X Men, I encourage you to watch the show um, if you are kind of on the fence looking for looking you want a super powered show but that has a good entry point and by and with this show again it's about the family it's about the family unit first and foremost then i think you should try out the gift it's certainly less psychedelic than what we got with fx's legion which came out earlier this year and which was a bit too trippy for me in some respects dan when yes. I say that this is this season's timeless, I am not kidding. It is the gifted is fantastic. The acting is good, really good. The the storylines, the parents, the sibling dynamics, the fact that the younger brother finds out that his sister's been hiding her talents, and then when she's like going to go out for the night, he sneaks out and gets a ride. Really does the family dynamic well. The fact that uh, Stephen Moyer's character Reed Strucker is 
facing co conflicts of his own, having been the person who was prosecuting and is now on the run with mutant family members, how his mother is brought into it. Co Kobe Bell, as the Sentinel Services agent, does a really good job of playing the fact that he's a hard ass, but there's also this little undercurrent of there might be at some point a little bit of sympathy, but it very rarely flickers through. The characters are great. Um, Mo mentioned John Proudmore. Well, that's played by B Blair Redford, who, if you listen to Daytime Confidential, you may know that he was on The Young and the Restless. He was on Passions. He went on to he was on 90210, The Lion Game. So he's been on a lot of daytime and primetime soaps. I think the thing that I watched him most recently on was when he was on um, Satisfaction on USA as the Gigolo. Um, so he's he's someone who I'm familiar with from a number of different shows, and he does a really good job on this um, in this series. Amy Acker have loved her for years. I'm glad that she got another great show after Person of Interest has gone off the air. It's great having Stephen Moyer back after his True Blood days. The mutants, the CGI is done in such a way where it you don't feel like they half-assed it, but you know they're doing it on a budget. And sometimes you get that dynamic with fantasy and sci-fi shows on television. Let's face it, Once Upon a Time is a fun is a fun show, or it was a fun show, but the CGI wasn't always the greatest. It could be very cheesy. I don't find the CGI on this show cheesy. They've just figured out good ways to in incorporate it appropriately, and they've figured out how to have mutants that don't have a lot of body makeup that would require tons and tons of hours in a chair or CGI. So I think that it's doing really well. I would highly encourage everyone to watch it. Dan, before we get to our year-end podcast, I would certainly recommend that you watch it so that you do not have to have the unfortunate two years in a row <laughs> thing happen in which everyone picks timeless and then you watch it in January when you should have watched it beforehand so that you could give it the proper credit it deserves. Oh, come on. Everyone loves a good running gag. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Dan, did you have any um honorable or dishonorable mentions? Uh, not not really. I uh I honestly forgot about the defenders because it like I marathoned it so quickly that it just it never dawned on me, but I probably would have included that in my top 5 over uh some of my fudging picks. Um but yeah, no. Mo, who do you have for honorable or dishonorable mentions? Well, if you want to do dishonorable mentions. Well, see, this is the other thing that I figured, considering Inhumans. that da considering Dan um, was responsible for us watching Inhumans, he couldn't even remember Inhumans for a dishonorable mention. I, I Mo, disagree who do you have? with that assessment. Well, dishonorable mentions, it would be the Inhumans. Um, and, and really, honestly, a lot of the things that we talked about in terms of the gifted, in terms of its balance of CGI, the story, the characters, it's really the inverse of that on the Inhumans. And that's really sad because it is a Marvel show and it's a cheap looking Marvel show. There are some good points about the Inhumans, but unfortunately, the bad outweighs the good when it comes to the Inhumans. Now, 
honorable mentions. I have two that are kind of out of left field. Um, I don't mention a lot of anime. I do enjoy watching some anime. So my two honorable mentions are both anime series. One is called Infinity Force. Okay. It is You can stream this show through Viz Media for free. Infinity Force is, if you've, as a child, if you ever watched Gotcha Man, or... Uh, yes. Yes, you remember Gotcha... Okay, if you ever watched I, Gotcha Man... Oh, go ahead. Dan. Gotcha Man, Eagle Riders, G-Force, yeah. uh, Battle of the Planets, they're all the same. Yes. So if you... So Infinity Force is more or less a quasi-Justice League of, of, a, of characters from Gotcha Man... I don't know if you recall Tekka Man. There was a show they used to uh, air on uh, what is now, what was used to be UPN. It was about a guy who could turn into a robot and he had a uh, a robot arm, a sentient robot armor and he could fight these aliens. It was kind of graphic. Cashin, uh, Cashin, um, he, he more or less used to ride a motorcycle. Uh, has a big C on his chest, has a white suit, and another character called Polymer. So they, they, these four characters are come from alternate realities, and they're they have been transported to this one reality, and they kind of, in order to get there, get home, they need the help of this female protagonist who is a anime schoolgirl in traditional, you know, if you watch any anime, you know what I'm talking about, the anime high school girl. I'll leave it at that. But and this girl has a magic pencil that everyone seems to want. This magic pencil can rewrite reality. So if you can get past the magic pencil, I would give this a try, especially if you like anime, if you're a fan of some of these old characters, Give give it a shot. I've watched three episodes of of this series. My other honorable mention is this is on Netflix. It's IDO. It is a space anime. It's about people who, who can download their body into these robotic beings. However, if they stay in the body too, uh, if they stay in the robot body too long, they could lose their consciousness or their body could die. It's very tongue-in-cheek. It's very silly. Uh, the protagonist of this show, she is a teenage college student who is studying um, these rare outer space minerals and so forth. She gets caught up in this conspiracy and ends up working for a group of interplanetary pirates. It's very silly. It's you know, it's 22 minutes of just a lot. Of, there's some anime tropes in this. If you like mech anime shows, I would I would give this a look. My honorable mentions: Ducktales. The fact that it's returned, it's fantastic. I figured I might be pushing my lit luck on the like fudging list with Seal Team, so I didn't include Will and Grace as a new show since technically it just picked up from where it left off. But it has been fantastic. DuckTales, though, I do consider a new ser uh, series just because of how they've re they've reworked it enough that I would call it a new series. But I'm enjoying it as an honorable mention. Once Upon a Time Seattle. 
<laughs> um, that one is sort of a, it's not an honorable mention, but it's not a dishonorable mention, but I find myself watching it. I quit once upon a time with the, in the middle of the frozen season, because I had just had too much frozen and as much as I liked, uh, loved Captain Swan, I just couldn't. And so for me, since they are sort of rebooting the series with uh, Once Upon a Time Seattle, I've checked it out. I'm sort of enjoying it. There's just enough of the old actors and characters in it under a new premise that it's not that bad for me. But it's not honorable or dishonorable. Dishonorable mentions. Obviously, the Inhumans, even if Dan can't remember these things, it is the worst show of the new season by far, without question. Um, And another one goes to, and even though there's only been one episode or I've only watched one episode, I'm including young Sheldon on my list because I don't see how long-term viable this show is. The pilot was okay, but it felt scattered. The other thing about this show is that part of the brilliance of the Big Bang Theory is that we get to see all of the character development in Sheldon that is taking place as an adult. He starts out as a very one-dimensional character, and over the years we've seen him grow. I don't see that there's a lot of room between where we saw him, uh, Sheldon, at the beginning of the Big Bang Theory and where he starts out on young Sheldon, And so I'm like, why in the world should I invest in this show? Because if it's just going to be things about him and his stupid siblings with a slightly nerdy twist, well, the Goldbergs is doing it better. If I'm trying to look for a family comedy just straight up, I would be watching Modern Family, which I still record, even though I end up watching it in massive binges. I don't see how the how young Sheldon, even though it had great ratings initially, survives over the long run, because I think that people are going to be able to see all the progress that Sheldon is making on screen on Big Bang Theory, his upcoming nuptials and all those various other things that he's going through and say, why should I be watching the same thing over and over with young Sheldon? So for me, young Sheldon is a dishonorable mention. Well, I was going to say, I, you know, CBS and Warner Brothers, they see long-term viability in young Sheldon because they see those dollar signs. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. But, hey, I could be proven wrong. It's absolutely possible and not the first time. We would encourage you to comment on this episode at geekconfidential.com. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. You can find Dan at the real Dan Pierce. Or real Dan Pierce. Real Dan Pierce. Yeah, not the real Dan Pierce. Real Dan Pierce. Yes. Mo is at Dr. Mo77, and I am at Luke underscore Kerr. Until two weeks from now, when we might have a BlizzCon follow up episode. So long. See ya. Bye, everybody.